Hello. <laughs> I just did that to watch Kim's reaction. It's time for a fun episode of Connect This. And I have some some rough news that uh, I just spent several days at National Tribal Telecom where Matt Rantan and I did uh, a day uh, activity. We call it Fiber Day, a one day uh, kind of uh, uh, quick education event about uh, fiber optics and networking basics and things like that. And at the end of the day, one of the poor, misguided people who attended it, uh, someone who is probably being forced to be there as a, some kind of punishment for something that they did um, at their job or in a previous life, she said that she liked our dad jokes. So oh, no. um, I'm, I'm no, emboldened. No, no. Uh, on this show? On this show? No, no just in general. So everywhere that I go now, I'm just more and more oh. dad jokes everywhere I go. Um, so we have Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber, the chief marketing officer. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm coming in hot today. Red glasses. They are always asked for um, via my LinkedIn. So we're wearing them. And your mug is smoking because you just poured it out, poured it out of the teapot. Correct. Because who doesn't need your tea kettle right beside your, nice. your, your monitor? My IT guy is not thrilled that I have that much liquid right close to a computer. We have Travis Carter coming to us from Yuma, Arizona, which uh, just reminds me that I'm an idiot for not having invited you to Fiber Day. I regret that because it would have been really fun to have you there. Well, what was I about just an hour away from you or less? Yeah, 90 minutes maybe. I don't know. It depends on there's construction out that way, I think. So maybe well, longer. I would have come. So thank you for the invite and bad news coming your way, Mr. Mitchell. I will be starting to head back north next week. So chicken wings are coming. I'm excited. We got some ideas. I want to do a show. Get this, everyone. I want to do a show all about permits. And Travis is like, what? And I said, let us let me buy you some wings and we'll talk about it. We'll figure out how to make it work. So that's possibly coming. Let's do it. I thought it might even be fun to throw them on the grill if the weather's nice. Excellent. That's not a good idea. Permits don't grill up all that well. Travis. Well, so no. let's just be clear here. Like Travis will make a big deal about how he won the bet. And every time I'm like, let me buy you wings, he'll be like, or we could go skiing. <laughs> just come up with some reason why I can't I buy I'm, wings. I'm, I'm like those old school Italians. You know, I, I have a debt and I will collect one day, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> you know, and we got Doug Dawson from Asheville, North Carolina with uh, CCG Consulting, founder and president. Welcome back. And I'm wearing the, the uh, city logo for Asheville here. Grateful Dead <laughs> sure you're not allowed in town. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we already have some folks in the chat room. Love it. And uh, and uh, open to ideas. We have a full agenda. We've got a great um, guest. We've got a great short guest. <laughs> um, but I'm always interested in what people want us to talk about. And if we can shoehorn it in, uh, I will do that. That's something I want to try and encourage at the beginning of every show. If you are going to be um, coming up here and subjecting yourself to the pain of hearing us talk about things, you could at least have a say in what we're talking about. Uh, with that said, uh, we want to jump right in to bring on Christine, our senior GIS researcher, who alerted me, um, perhaps, I don't know, it's possible that Travis behind the scenes just is cooking something up to try to get me ranting, but uh, we'll start with maybe Christine ranting about something here. Uh, thanks, Chris. Um, 
So it's a great uh, intro that you just gave Christine, by the way. Just open-ended. <laughs> no question. I was... Christine does not need an intro. Christine knows better than I do what she's about to talk about. And Christine just gave like three presentations in like four days in Texas. And so as far as I'm concerned, you're a pro. And now is a chance to just sort of start giving you those curveballs to see how you do. Mm, try a little Chris Mitchell winging it. <laughs> Um, so Chris brought me on today to talk about, um, a problem with accessing the API, um, on the national broadband map, um, interface and an API is the, an application programming interface. So essentially it is uh, a way to communicate with, um, between two applications. So like when you go to the, the. Uh, broadband map and you enter in a, an address, um, it is sending a request to the broadband maps API and then it gives you information back. Um, and I'm sure many people have noticed when you click around too frequently in that location level map or you put in too many addresses, it will lock you out. Um, and so that is a rate limiting effect on, on the map itself, on the whole website really. Um, and my understanding is that is in place um, due to firewall protections um, that the FCC has um, implemented, and it's intended to protect the fabric and limit web scraping. Um, but it's also ultimately making it very hard for people like me and others to um, access the bulk data set. Um, so they do have a data download page where you can painfully download every single of the like 200 plus um, spreadsheets that they have broken up the new data set into. Um, not many people want to do that. So there are folks that are very smart and have set up different kinds of code to be able to automate that process. Um, and But we're running into the same issue at times with this rate limiting and it's just sending back errors. Um, there are ways to navigate around it, but the ultimately the problem is why do we have to do this? Like we, we shouldn't have to be making these specific scripts and code to be able to access a publicly, a public data set. Um, it should not be that hard. And so that is my rant. <laughs> Excellent. Go ahead, Travis. You know, we all know what the obvious answer is, don't we? <laughs> 75 million more will get us a unlimited API. So, Chris, go ahead I, and call up the FCC I, and get that checked out. I was thinking that you were going to just say that you were going to, like, go up into Washington and fix it, Travis. I mean, come on. Oh, I, you know, I want to thank, thank Christine because I... I'm actually, I didn't know we were still doing this map thing. I figured that'd be over by now, but they're. Um... I mean, that's my job, so well, no, it's going to continue. It's so <laughs> underfunded, Christine. I mean, how can we expect? I wish I they know. hadn't cheaped out on it. I know they did. Yeah. They, they bought the budget version, and now we don't have an unlocked API, but I commend but you for hard work. Yeah. So. But it is massively annoying because regular people go on and they go, let me see what's around my neighborhood. And if you start doing that, it locks you up. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't even just look at it and you should be able to look at it all day long. It's a public database. So, okay. No. We've talked on this show many of times that we don't trust the data on this lovely mapping system, right? So why do we care to look at it? That's because you want to see what's, you want to, you want to see what's claimed. Cause that, <laughs> that, cause that's how you get Chris Durant. Cause I think he's going to even talk about his well, stuff. FCC so challenge. I do want to say we're going to talk about mapping for a few more minutes. We're going to talk a lot more about uh, Matt Larson is a runs a wireless ISP. I didn't give people a little roadmap of where we're going to be going, but we'll be talking about that some. We'll be doing a little update, talk about the supply chain and maybe a few other stories. So we have 
um, several things that we're coming to for people who are sitting there being like mapping again. Okay. Um, that said, the uh, it is this is it's very frustrating. Um, and I think Kim asked a really great question. Like, if we all think the map isn't doesn't have good data, why are we going at it? And the answer is because it is the official data that we have to use to some extent. And so um, I find it frustrating. I would hope that the FCC would have an approach that would allow researchers uh, to do it. Uh, if re or at the very least, when researchers find a way to make it work, they not um, circumvent it or come after them to try to shut down those efforts, which I think could be something that we see depending on different solutions that we come up with. Um, Christine, while you're here, I did want to ask you, um, I, um, I had just checked in because I realized it had been a long time. I had submitted my complaint to the FCC um, a little bit um, more than three months ago or right around, I'm sorry, a little bit less than three months ago. And I just happened to check in on it because I hadn't ever gotten anything back from the FCC. And it says upheld. Um, um, but the map still shows that my, me and my neighbors can get a gigabit symmetrical wireless download and upload from this provider next that lies about it. And then I went back and forth with them. We talked about that on a previous show from your understanding, doesn't the up being it upheld means that there's a 30 day window in which they're supposed to fix it. Um, and I didn't warn you to re remind yourself yeah. of the rules. I thought maybe it'd be on the top of your head. Um, can, those can, rules are no yes. longer at the top of my head. Um, the answer is yes, it's 30 days. So they okay. might still be under their 30 days, but they're only going to fix you, not your neighbors. Well, that's the thing, right? Is I'm trying to keep this documented, um, because it's so this, I just, I, I was at National Tribal Telecom and FCC was on the stage and and I just felt like the undercurrent of what they were saying was, isn't it great that we're letting you fix the map? And I'm just like, no, for for all the money that that you spent on it, like for the love of God, we shouldn't be spending that all the hours, the tens of thousands of hours that people don't have who are putting into this um, to get slightly less crummy data. I This is a fiasco. And I just... It, I like the idea behind it if it weren't already so rough to begin with. Um, I, I will add, though, regarding this API thing, I did um, contact the BDC help desk and they said they are working on the API for researchers and it will be out sometime in the future. Okay. I'm glad it will be in the future because it was a different time that would be puzzling. Right. <laughs> that'll, um, that'll probably be 25 after they get a couple of like 50, more, that's, 50 more million, right, Travis? So. Yeah, th that's a very good marketing answer coming from a marketer. We'll get it to you at right. some point. <laughs> but not tomorrow or maybe My, not in yeah. a week. My They're very good at those statements. Yeah. <laughs> I was just reminded of one of my favorite all-time answers from customer service that my mom dealt with years ago when the Frontier phone line went down uh, in their neighborhood. And she called in right around Christmas time. And Frontier's answer was, don't worry, your neighbors are all out too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you. You're not alone. <laughs> So, Christine, thank you for raising that. Um, once again, another, I think, frustrating piece of this and the continued lowering of expectations around what we should expect. Um, you know, some government agencies work so well, we don't even know what they do. And then there's other ones where I just feel like it's um, it's quite embarrassing. Yeah. Well done. Well done. 
We'll we'll catch you in a meeting, Christine. Thank you for joining us. Um, I wanted to um, uh, ask. Um, uh, well, let's bring Matt on because um, Matt has um, uh, thoughts about all of these things. I wanted to ask first about uh, the supply chain. But Matt, for people who haven't watched every show, shame on you. Um, you want to remind us who you are? You've been a past guest. What's Vista Beam? Sure, we're a fixed wireless and fiber provider covering some really rural areas of. Western Nebraska, Eastern Wyoming, Northern Colorado, and now a teeny tiny little sliver of Kansas. So a lot of stuff out there. Excellent. And you're, you're someone that, um, uh, you do, uh, you do fiber, you do wireless, you've been doing it forever. You're one of more than one person who claims, um, the title of the, of a wireless cowboy or broadband cowboy or something like that. Um, but you're, you're someone that I feel like is, um, uh, both very serious about wireless and, um, and also very, very concerned about making sure that people are getting what they pay for. And so I just want to sort of throw that out there so people have a sense of where you're coming from. Um, I don't know if you want to, you know, if, if you do things differently than others, um, uh, it's not a very good question. Um, but um, let me just let me say that you're coming on in part because you feel that in multiple shows recently, we have not been um, hitting the right notes regarding the role of wireless in deployments. Yeah, so I, I want to lay a little foundation. I'm reading a book right now by Tim Urban. It's called uh, What's Our Problem? And it talks about um, kind of the interactions between people in politics and in society in general. And one of the important elements of it is when you get people to use high-rung thinking, then you're using ideas and you kind of have the marketplace of ideas going back and forth. And that's where you get real progress made. But when you have low rung thinking where people kind of turn into this tribalistic, you know, my way or the highway kind of thinking, that's where you end up with the things that kind of cause problems. So, Chris, I have a ton of respect for you as a as a high level thinker because you're open to ideas and we've talked back and forth. We don't always necessarily agree, but I feel like we kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron that we kind of help each other develop our ideas. But I've caught myself listening to this podcast and like yelling back <laughs> at what you guys are saying sometimes, because uh, especially when you start talking about fixed wireless, that I feel like you guys are just getting it way wrong. And that's that's why I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about it and uh, hopefully provide a little bit of perspective from somebody that's been on the ground and has experience with both fixed wireless and now fiber. We're actually, we just finished a town and are putting our first fiber customers on right now. So I'm gonna have some excellent uh, control data to use kind of back and forth to kind of see how everything performs, because I'm curious to see what the results show. Matt, Excellent. I think you've watched this show long enough that you should know that we have never been wrong on anything that we said on this show. <laughs> I, I do want to, before we get into topics, you know, that, want... that's the kind of low rung thinking that I'm, I'm talking about right there. <laughs> oh, no. All that's of us not, are in the tribe that... of people who don't respect us. That's not low wrong. It's not low wrong. That's no wrong. Forget that. Forget the wrongs. So <laughs> I want to say a couple of things. First of all, like I felt like Matt, your email to me was um, a perfect example of how to disagree with someone, to challenge them and uh, to do it in a way that is productive. And so I just really appreciate that because um, I know how frustrated I am at times and how hard it is to write 
a civil email. Um, now that said, I want to, I want to, there's several different areas where we're going to have touch on areas where we disagree. This is an area where I have no idea, but I wanted to, something that Travis has noted before we've talked a lot, a little bit on the show is this nature of the supply chain issue. I just came from national tribal telecom where people are on stage talking about the massive lead times for all this stuff. And I was talking to a woman who works as a, as a consultant for a lot of different ISPs. And she was saying, she looked at me and we were both sort of like, I don't know, that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing deliveries are coming early because of uh, some of the, the big ISPs that are backing off. She said that she had just asked a major fiber provider, the lead time for a very common um, fiber order. And they said, basically there was like eight weeks um, until they would have it delivered. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious, you know, from each of you, um, is this supply chain thing kind of, and I know that it's the answer is going to be, it depends. So on what pieces of gear do we have problems and where do we not? Well, let me, let me start. There's a big difference between people who are established ISPs and brand new guys, mm -hmm. brand new guys are having a supply chain problem because they're, they just don't have any priority. And so, but, but for everybody, it's kind of a lot better. But, but if you're brand new, like, you know, I've got a, a city who wants to build some fiber and then they're just not getting any response times because, you know, but, but all the established ISPs are seeing much, much better times, except for a few exceptions here and there. So, mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's gotten, it's so much better than a year ago. It's not even close. I mean, there, I mean, I have, I have guys who've been building fiber for 10 years who were told, Travis, one of them told a year ago, they had to wait 11 months for stuff that those days are gone. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but it, there's, there's still people who are not established ISPs and who have never done it before are having more problems than other people. And part of that is they don't know how to work themselves into the supply chain, right? Sure. You know? Kim, I mean, they, wait, they wait the last minute and then they call and ask for it. I mean, you got to get to know the suppliers. So, so Kim, what are you seeing in Montana? Um, you know, we're seeing it's the thing is we're not really seeing any issues much in Montana because when we did see issues, we would just use some of the excess of the Utopia supply and ship it up there and then um, sell it to them. Or yeah, you still probably got set-top boxes yeah. you could share. We sold all our old set-top boxes. We used to call that the million-dollar room, for those who don't know. We uh, had old a lot of set-top boxes from a a partner that did not work out. It was like a breakup. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't us. It was them. All but, right, Matt uh, and Travis. <laughs> that's it. Matt first. I, we're, fa we're fairly new. So, uh, at doing this, uh, but we started uh, construction on this small town last fall, uh, I believe in September, and we had everything done and all of our, we got all of our supplies and everything was done by December. So uh, I, I now I have to give a lot of credit to my team because they're very scrappy and this is not the sort of deal we went to one vendor. I think they, he has a portfolio of like between 15 and 20 vendors that he called around to and got bits and pieces from different places. But I think for a smaller project like that, it wasn't a big deal, but uh, doing a major, major project, I think it would probably be more of a challenge. Travis, what are you feeling? Uh, right now, I think everything's good. Handholds are still challenging to get your hands on. Um, actually where I've seen most of the issues now are in construction equipment. Directional drills are very hard to get right now. Mud vacs, things like that. Um, but it's, it's important that people be flexible. And like Matt indicated, you know, we try to have three SKUs for or three items for each of the, the you know, the pieces. Because what, what's happening, like even in the wireless router world for home Wi-Fi, they'll do certain runs. 
So there'll be very there'll be a lot of supply of one item and and not a lot of another one. So as long as you can be flexible, uh, it right now it doesn't seem to be a big issue. And quite frankly, we got flooded in January. Everyone must get their bonuses at the end of January or in February because man, know. yeah, semis were showing up of stuff that we didn't even want till mid year. So. Um, Anyone need anything? We have ample of it right now. So. I'll open my garage to you if you bring me a fiber. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll drop some spools on top of your garage. There you go. So no, <laughs> I, I don't think the it's me, an issue me, now. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys, um, as far as I look, you know, they were they were ramping up for all this free government money, which I don't believe has been handed out to anyone. So I think there's going to be a lot of product this year. Let's see what next year is. Some of the free government money has been handed yeah. out, but not from the bead program it, it, yet. The, the, yeah, the bead. There's a lot of government money out there. It's just not from the $42 billion that there's, actually, there's actually a huge amount of money out there from ARPA. I mean, there's a lot of ARPA money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one, of the, that's one of the stories we're going to talk about is what's happening yeah. in New Hampshire. But, um, yeah. Doug, what are you thinking about the AT&T pullback, the other, other providers um, significantly reducing the, the fiber plans and things like that? It's got to help the supply chain. I mean, they're all together. Those big guys pulled back in the range of 4 million passings. That's a lot of passings. That's, I mean, how much material you need to build 4 million passings, Travis? Whoa. It's a lot. So that's going to be that much more stuff on the market. Um, you know, some of the vendors cranked up for these big volumes and, and the volumes are not quite there now. They're going to be oversupplied here pretty soon. We're going to have the opposite than a supply chain problem. We're going to have a glut. So. Well, I mean, a fair amount of this stuff can be stored. And that's that's one yes. of the things I never understood yes. about the vaults and some of this other stuff. I mean, a st standard market dynamic should be resolving this on the time frame we're seeing yes. where you have other factories <clears throat> are just developing their forms and then in moving into that line of business, right? I mean, that's what right. some, some of you know people that have done that. Yeah. You know, the big guys don't really count. Most of them buy a year ahead of time and they have their own giant warehouses. Mm -hmm. So I mean, they they're, they don't care how long it takes to get there because AT and T has enough fiber for the next year already. That's how they do it, you know. So that and so you know when they slow down, that really affects next year because they will not be buying stuff to to fill the warehouses this year. It's a very interesting dynamic. Big guys are so different than the rest of us. So. Yeah. So the uh, one of the things that um, we know, the money that's going out, New Hampshire giving $40 million to Consolidated to expand fiber. Um, this has some implications that I feel like um, aren't always appreciated right away. Um, uh, Consolidated is the uh, DSL incumbent in a lot of these areas, and um, there will not be any other provider coming to town. Right. If if that money had gone to someone else to build fiber in those areas, it's possible that consolidated would have upgraded over time and there would be two choices. The state has decided to create a monopoly, in effect, by doing this and not leaving any um, any any uh, as best we can tell from the articles, no requirements or regulations on the future of how consolidated prices and does things like that. So I'm a little bit horrified by that. I don't know uh, if anyone else has any reactions. Well, the weird thing, if you believe the articles, and you often have to dig a layer deeper, they're not always right, but it sounds like they just negotiated giving them the money. It wasn't even like it was a grant request. <laughs> you know, they're like, we have this ARPA money left, because they did set aside a pile of ARPA money, New Hampshire did, and last year they gave a big pile to the electric co-op, was the big one in the state, and now I think they said, well, we got the rest of this, we got to give it to somebody, and the choice was consolidated or, or the cable company, and they decided to give it to them, but 
But yeah, to do it with no restrictions on it or no rules or no requirements is very odd. But that may not be true. We don't know. We don't see the underlying paperwork. So. Yeah, and I think a lot of these areas don't have cable companies. Kim, it looked like right. you were about to say something. I'm just, I was going to ask Matt a question. So Matt, with the city that you were lighting up your first fiber customer, is there any governmental subsidies in there at all? Or is this just something that you built on your own? So not only are there no government subsidies on this, so we had applied through the Nebraska Broadband Bridge Program uh, a couple of years ago to do this. And this mm -hmm. is a town that uh, uh, has no cable, uh, just had DSL. We put fixed wireless in there and we already have like over a 40% market share with our fixed wireless. We applied to do to do uh, fiber there and CenturyLink challenged it. So in Nebraska, there are two types of challenges. You can challenge and say that you provide the service uh, now or that you're going to provide the service within 24 months. So not only did they come in and say, we're going to provide service within the next 24 months, uh, Nebraska Universal Service Fund uh, basically gave them somewhere between two and a half and $3 million to do the build. And yeah. I said, you know what? I'm just hard headed enough. I'm going to go ahead and build it anyway. So we started construction. Um, a month ago, we saw the CenturyLink uh, contractors starting to build out their portion of it. Uh, they might hit the 24 month deadline that, or have to pay penalties for challenging it without, but basically uh, we're, we're getting it done. And right now I think we're on track. We'll have, uh, we should have well over 50% of the market, uh, on our, our system, either wireless or fiber. And uh, I think that's the point, right? Cause we keep talking about, they're giving it to the big guys. They're not giving it to the people like Matt. And so it's, it's like, we're just creating monopolies again. So how do people like Matt, cause we keep complaining about it, but people like Matt aren't getting the money but it's such a big substantial amount of cash to build out. Are they just, are the States lazy or did they just not want to deal with dealing with all of the smaller providers out there? Yeah. I mean, why did New Hampshire not have open contests to win the money? Mm -hmm. If they just negotiated with them, that certainly seems wrong. So. Well, and one of the things that I think we would find is that the amount of subsidy required from CenturyLink to build in Western Nebraska is significantly more than the amount of subsidy that VistaBeam needs to build. And mm -hmm. so you're talking about passing fewer homes because you're picking one of the more inefficient providers to shower with money. And that mm -hmm. is additionally frustrating. Well, so th this town isn't even the worst part. So we had a, we had, we applied for, uh, another broadband bridge program uh, last fall. And it was one of these deals where I had a lot of stuff kind of done and I wasn't even going to apply. And then just out of this white hot rage, uh, I decided to go ahead and throw an application in the night before, like doing a, like doing a term paper the day before it's due. Hold on a second, Matt. And Are you saying that the more we upset you, the more likely it is that people in Western Nebraska will get fiber optics because we might just start going off on Toronto more often. Than not, necess not necessarily. <laughs> Let me finish the explanation. Okay. So, uh, so I went ahead and I fill out an application. It's a little tiny town right on the border with Wyoming. It's like 80 homes and got challenged by CenturyLink again. And then I found out that uh, CenturyLink through the Nebraska Universal Service Fund, which uh, is set up to basically fund ILEC builds, is getting, I think it's almost 11 million to build out three exchanges in Western Nebraska, which this of this which this tiny town was included. And so not only did we get blocked, we found out that, 
oh, they're getting money from Nebraska Universal Service Fund. Well, nobody else can get that money. It's no. only for ILEX. Mm -hmm. Right. I can't challenge it. I can't do anything mm -hmm. else about it. So that uh, is 100%. I mean, okay, not a lawyer, but like the point of the 1996 Telecommunications Act was trying to prohibit states from showing that kind of favoritism. And, um, and it's just frustrating that you still see it coming through with that, uh, that kind of activity. Um, I want to, I want to pivot quick, Matt, and talk a little bit about what you're doing, uh, with the, um, oh, what's the name of it? The, uh, the, the work you're doing with the empowerment centers. Um, and, uh, we have some of your graphics here. I just want to spend a, give people a, a quick taste. So you want to walk us through that? Sure. So basically we were trying to come up with uh, a way to kind of be more involved with our communities. And so we came up with the idea of doing this, uh, empowerment center. And basically what it is, it's a place where uh, we've got workstations out there that uh, people are available to the public that people can use for uh, digital skill training. They could do job interviews. We've got a VoIP phone there that they can get on and uh, do the job interviews. We're also working with a company that has telehealth, a telehealth device that's going to do like blood pressure, oximeter, and a few other things. And... Uh, Basically, what we're trying to do is kind of fulfill some of these things that broadband is is supposed to provide, you know, like the ability to help somebody with telehealth. We're also providing a digital navigator there. Uh, a lot of what we're seeing is like, even if you had like perfect connectivity to somebody's home, most of the people don't know how to actually take full advantage of it. So we've got a person there that's trained to show them how to do everything and making it accessible. So somebody doesn't have to, if somebody wants to do telehealth appointments, they can come in and we've got a room set aside where they can go do that and have somebody help them get online and everything else that needs to happen. We're also opening up the room for uh, community groups can have meetings there. Uh, it's video conferencing enabled. And, uh, you know, just basically, I, I'm really hoping this is something that's going to kind of take off and be really popular, kind of help with digital equity issues. Oh, I just realized I can control the slide. Huh. What do you know? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about signing people up for ACP. Is that something you're doing here too? Yeah, we've been signing up people for ACP since the program started. Um, we are a Microsoft Airband partner and they wanted us to really go out and, and push that. So we have been advertising that pretty solidly for the last year. And now in this scenario, people can come into the empowerment center, come through the front door and actually have somebody walk them through the paperwork. So our digital navigator is trained to to help with that. And you have, um, you, you welcomed the requirement to come in and, uh, deal with, um, offer lifeline when you started getting involved with some of the federal grants, right? How did that work out? I mean, it's, it's there. Uh, we really don't have a very high percentage of people that use it, but it made a big difference for a few people, uh, that we had. Um, and, you know, I, I think the idea is to just kind of continue to have that presence there and have that steady where, People know where to go to ask questions about it. Any questions, Travis? You haven't been you've been quiet for a little bit. You want to jump in? No, I, I just keep thinking about what you said of why Matt and companies like Matt and myself never seem to get any of this uh, money. I think it's uh, my theory always has been is it's the same old thing of when you're in these larger corporations choosing Cisco and IBM, you never get fired for. My sense is in these government entities, if they choose CenturyLink or Consolidated, then the issue's over. They never get challenged on it. Where, you know, let's say they give 
money to a, a not Matt or Kim or I, but to somebody else <laughs> and they squander it, is their reputation, you know, going to be affected based on that? So CenturyLink's an easy thing to give money to. Comcast is easy to give money to. Mm-hmm. The rest of us, not so much. Well, and, and that fear is a driving the NTIA and setting all their rules. You can tell their the mm-hmm. meeting rules are based upon fear of failure. That's it's a real shame. So yeah. Well, and then imagine you're, you know, you're 55 years old, you work in one of these offices, you're only five, 10 years away from your uh from your retirement fund. You're not gonna mess around. You know, you're you're just gonna give it to the, you know, it's like water. You're gonna give it to the path of least resistance. And sadly the, the, those of us that we think are out here doing good work are gonna get left on the wayside. So we have to do the fashion way, Mr. Mitchell. We got to work for it. I'll come yeah, back to that but, question. Go ahead, Kim. I was just going to say, that at the end of the day, a lot of these people who are giving out the money have never worked in the trenches. They've never been at a telecom. They don't know what they're looking at when they're yeah. looking at these applications. And they're they're going the safe route. And I, I understand why. But because if you, if you make that wrong decision and go with that guy who hasn't been in business for a year and it blows up in your face. Yeah, I agree with Travis, but yes, one of the biggest problems I see, and I talk to people every day and it's like, well, do you know how this works? No, then that they probably shouldn't be the ones giving out the money, but that's my personal opinion on it. Kim, are you volunteering to go uh, run one of these government programs? Not, have you ever met me? I don't think I work in government. Well, even though I work in government, (laughs) I just wanted to ask, I wanted to ask Matt about this because I'll bet Matt knows exactly who you're using for, for transport. Um, and uh, uh, this is the kind of technical show where people are interested in this sort of thing. No, we don't use the ILEC for any of our transport. Um, we have, well, technically we have one ILEC connection from Lumen. Um, and it was a deal where I kind of put a, def- I, I, I put the gauntlet down. They're like, oh, you want to buy a connection from? I say, yep, if you can match this price for 10 gig, I'll buy a connection. Um, and then immediately, as soon as I signed, they wanted me to like, oh, how many other places, you know, seven or eight? I said, no, get the first one. I want to see it come in within a reasonable time frame, And then I want to see a bill that looks at least somewhat approximate to what you just told me it was going to be. So what happened was exactly what I thought would happen. It was six months late. And there were all kinds of challenges getting it turned up. And then the bill came in about $600 a month more than it was quoted. So. Well, you got to pay for that extra time. That's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that so no, in, in this situation, um, we're actually, Nebraska went from being one of the worst places to get backhaul to being one of the better ones. Uh, somebody, one of the, one of the fiber providers finally dropped the cost on 10 gig circuits way down. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody else followed. So that's been great. In fact, I can't wait. We've got some, we've got like three spectrum circuits left that uh, one of the fiber providers actually offered to pay our early termination fees to switch. And so I can't wait to pull a plug on that one. That just really makes me happy. But that's that that that's a rare win uh, compared to what we, it used to be backhaul was like one of the real nightmares we had to build a lot of our own. We actually built uh, 30 miles worth of dark fiber just to get back all into one town um, that only had one fiber that was getting cut like every, you know, two or three times a year. So uh, it's it's nice to have some backbone options finally. So um, this is a, an opportunity. I think we're going to slide into a little bit more of the, the discussion about wireless. Uh, we have a peekaboo that I had uh, wanted to put up that I feel like would have been one of the ones that you might have been yelling about, about Matt. So you'll have a chance here to, 
to respond. Um, this is from uh, Chris Frost, who's been on the show before with Santa Cruz, um, as, with Cruz IO, um, great ISP doing both fiber and wireless. And um, it was one of those things where I, I planned on including it in some of my slideshows as a reminder of one of the differences between fiber and wireless that we don't always talk about. Now, Matt, I know that you operate in a very frontier country, so I don't know if uh, if you think this is a fair depiction or, or shot at wireless or not. Man, so early on, uh, I had a solar site uh, that was still using 12 volt. And somewhere I have a picture of, of it hooked up to my pickup with jumper cables. And basically I told people I was jumping, starting the internet <laughs> in Niobrara County, Wyoming uh, that day, uh, just because there was no wind to run the wind generator. Um, but yeah, I, we've, we've put a lot of work in to try and figure out how to build uh, sites in places that don't have, uh, don't have infrastructure there. So we've done a lot with solar, done a lot with, uh, you know, wind power, and man, it's it's really been a challenge uh, in some of these places. But one of the things that we do try and uh, make happen is we try to have a secondary uh, a secondary connection to every tower. So if we lose one, it doesn't take an entire chain out. Mm -hmm. And so building that redundancy in helps out a lot in the event that uh, you know we've had some crazy stuff. You know, wind blew a solar panel off of a site, and you know we had to go figure out how to get up you know, on top of a mountain, we, we have a snowcat or a, a ATV with tracks on it that we used to get around. And that thing this winter, starting in November, it was out almost every day uh, to do projects here and there, guys running up to put generators on sites. So, you know, it's, it's work, but I mean, that's the way to get, these places don't have connect. There's no way to get into them. There's no existing fiber. There's no other infrastructure. It's us or Starlink. So that's uh that that's what we do. I mean, what he's doing, yeah. My my poor infrastructure guy has been doing that all winter. Yeah, and, and um I have uh, I've heard some some stories. <laughs> In fact, I had um, a friend a friend of ours who's been on the show before, Matt tells a story about being at an, uh, an event, uh, maybe like a Nanog event or something like that over in um in Asia, and he was talking about how hard it was that they had to um uh, use a helicopter to get to one of their sites at times. And um, people at the event who are, I think, you know, they're from maybe somewhere in India or Nepal. And uh, they were like, oh, really? Because we have to like hike all the gear up on our backs <laughs> to places that are much harder to get to than that. And the description of it was just like, uh, hey, check your privilege. <laughs> you got a helicopter? Yeah. So it's a good story. It's better when he tells it too. So was it was it uphill time. both ways, like my parents <laughs> when they had to walk to school? <laughs> um so the um one of the things that we wanted to talk about is the um is speed issues. And I feel like Matt, I was on the chain where you were making the case that you felt like uh the get ACP tool is encouraging people to ask for more bandwidth than they need. And um, uh, so I don't know if you want to, if you want to summarize that uh, because I think that's an area where we have some strong disagreement that we could cover. Sure. So I, th I think the main thing is like, we've got a lot of, there's a lot of data out there that shows how much data people use and what applications perform under different circumstances. And really, of the the very high percentage we're talking 95% or more are just fine with a reliable 
relatively low latency, 50 meg connection. You can bump it up to 100 meg if there's more people in a house, but there's a lot of data to back that up. And you would be um, saying like a 50 by five or a 50 by 10. You're, you're also been said that symmetry is not as important as people like me say it is. Yeah, because that's based on your feelings. It's not based on empirical data. And we're operating in an environment where there's lots of data out there. Uh, I, I serve on Vitag. Vitag did a report on this that for all this hullabaloo about symmetry, when uh, COVID hit, uh, what actually happened is networks became more asymmetrical. It went from like 10 down, one up to like 12 or 13 down to one up. And that's that's very well documented. Um, there's a report, one of the vendors that we use a lot is Preseam, and Preseam has a huge sample of real world data of what people are actually using. And it backs that up. So this desire to have uh, this desire to have symmetry is basically like building a network for the 1% that actually needs it. And I don't think that 95% of us should have to pay for the 5%. And I think that also is getting used as a tool of discrimination against fixed wireless providers specifically. Uh, okay, so multiple ridiculous. arguments. One is class warfare that I didn't see coming from, but I appreciate that. Um, one is uh, database. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, if everyone wants to w weigh in with a contrary opinion. Well, first off, I, let me jump in here because make two different points. One is I've never supported symmetrical either, so I've disagreed with Chris on this. I mean, you know, I think the national, I think there should be much slower upload speed. We just don't need it. I agree. Um, but you know, wrong. The, the the issue we don't talk about is because he just mentioned it it's 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 jitter and it's latency mm -hmm. you know i mean i'm on a crappy cable company and and i have a and i had a 200 by 20 mm -hmm. and half the time i couldn't make it work i mean i could ha i would have trouble you remember how many times i got kicked off this show you know i've upped it i've upped it to 400 and it still works spotily and it's not because of the speeds it's because of the i mean the on my network, the latency and jitter are both just off the charts. And so, you know, I'm just sitting here cranking away and boom, all of a sudden jitter just kicks my ass. So, and so, you know, so speed is not everything. Those things are equally as important and we don't talk about those enough. I completely agree with that, but I've, I've never been in the, I've never been in the family of, we need, you know, symmetrical gigabit. If, if somebody has fiber and you want to provide that, why not? The network's going to do it anyhow. But I, I've never thought this be, the def definition should be symmetrical. So, so I want to say two things. One is that I feel like Ruben Marr is making a strong play for my job. He's funnier than I am and faster with the, the comments. Um, so well, everyone, everyone's funnier than you are. That's what Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not a high those, bar, Chris. It's not a high bar. <laughs> for those who might be listening, uh, you are missing out on some of the comments that we just put up on the screen from folks in the in the chat room. Um, I, I'll say that also I talk about symmetry, but it's also with an understanding that I could care less whether it's it's perfect symmetry or not. What I'm interested in is having high enough capacity that it enables innovation, enables people to take advantage of it. Like mm -hmm. Ruben says, I think one of the reasons we don't see people using a ton of upload is because the vast majority of people do not have much mm -hmm. in the way of upload. And so that constrains the available 
applications, much in the same way that because AT&T and Verizon and the big companies don't buy mesh networking gear, there is no business case for producing mesh networking gear. It might be the case that it's a bad approach that, that wouldn't stand the test of time, but it's also just a fact that we don't know in a market-based economy because there is no incentive for anyone to produce it at a volume that would make sense. So I don't think we've run that experiment entirely. I will say that uh, I frequently talk to people and they don't know why they're not getting the performance that they want on something. For instance, like um, if I had to, I guess, well, let me just say that rather than going on a big, long thing, if I had to choose with Comcast, whether I'd have more upload speed or I could get rid of the, da the data cap, I'd probably get rid of the data cap <laughs> because um, I have to go into work to transfer uh, the large files that I deal with. And I think, like Matt says, I'm not in the 50%. I'm probably in the 5 to 10% that wants to use the connection in that way. But the thing I love about electricity is it's a multi-purpose network that allows everyone to do it. I can run power tools if I want to. I can run a 50-watt, um, um, a 50, um, not watt, a uh, 50-amp um, uh, oven if I want to, without having to justify why I want to do that to the power company. So, um, Travis and Kim, why don't you get in before we recycle anyone else? I have so many thoughts on this discussion. Um, I, I think that it is a discussion of why are we dictating what people need at the end of the day, if what they are demanding this kind of speed, and I will put into perspective, if they're demanding this kind of speed, we should deliver it that we offer our providers offer 250 one gig and 10 gig. We are seeing about 65 to 70% of new customers signing up for one gig. And I don't think that we should be in the position of telling customers what they need because of their usage. And I also agree of why aren't we building it for the future and the applications that are coming out. But I also agree that fixed wireless can be a good solution if it's not oversubscribed, which makes probably companies that, um, are the ones that Matt probably doesn't like who make his reputation as being a fixed wireless provider not look so great as well. Um, but that's my take. That's my TED talk of the day. There you go, folks. Travis. All right. We could go on for hours on this topic, which would be a very fun debate over chicken wings, Mr. Mitchell. But I think um, YouTube doesn't cut us off. I mean, I would get divorced, but we could do it. <laughs> so what, what, what is the competitive landscape? Are we talking a rural internet provider, small town internet provider, or an urban internet provider? I don't think it matters, Travis. Well, I, I would disagree with you. I think if you're in an urban setting like where we are, competition is fierce. And mm -hmm. you're going to need to have something that can stand a, you know, tall above the other trees. Okay. Problem in our industry is people have been educated that this speed number is something now now we all know and don't tell anyone that the, the actual real you know usage patterns today are different and are less than the five speeds of of networks but when you're out door knocking door to door and talking to prospective customers they don't understand latency and jitter they understand how many internets are you selling me and when they get their internets, when they hit the little speed test button, does the little thing give you the internets? And is it different internets or better internets than the other person is selling? I mean, that's the reality in an urban setting. You are going to be very challenged to sell something. I mean, I mean, we're, we're in Minneapolis. We're the fiber provider. And, you know, we get 70 to 80 percent of the market share. The wireless providers, cable providers and everybody else get to share the rest because 
our numbers bigger than other people's numbers. Our our customer service is exponentially better than the rest. So, but if I'm out in Nebraska in the middle, you know, of uh, where I don't have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of potential customers, you know, then wireless is probably going to be a good option for you for, for a certain number of your customers. But I would challenge everybody. Today is the cheapest day you can build fiber. The fiber is going to last well beyond any of us on this call. It is infinitesimal. Give me a fancy word, Chris. It's infinitesimally. Easier to support. The consistency and reliability is exponentially better. And you, you can scale your business well beyond. I mean, I was a wisp. And being a wisp in an urban area, again, I'm going to qualify by saying urban area, is very challenging. Got fighter planes overhead, so I would say that it depends. I I I recommend wisps use wireless as the tip of the spear and try to backfill fiber in the high density areas. That, that's my position. But you you have there's it's no less expensive to sell symmetrical gigabit service than it is non-symmetrical gigabit because the, the hardware is just built that way. And people understand it. So that's my little rant. Well, you didn't quite answer the original question. Here. Well, what was the, the, question? the real question is, you know, it's back to what the government mandating speeds are. You know, I mean, in an urban area, if you elect to be competitively faster, that's your choice. But well, I, don't, you know, I don't see. I guess I don't ever pay attention to the government. But, but, but if the, go, the real question is, so. should the government be, be mandating symmetrical speeds, I think, is the real original question. So. And that that's exactly that's exactly it. Because one of the biggest issues that I feel like we face, especially when we're trying to fix big access issues, and not just in rural areas, but also in urban areas, is this mandating the symmetrical plays into fiber only. Because if you if you put that in there, then you're going to have people that propose stuff like running fiber down every county road. Now, this is one of those deals that sounds great, but... I've done a lot of research on this. I actually did a paper with David Reed with the University of Colorado in 2019. And we took a rural county in Nebraska, uh, had about uh, 300 and something households in the county. And we ran the numbers to show what it would take to deliver 100 down, 20 up with fixed wireless or gigabit by gigabit with uh, fiber. And this is using 2019 pricing, which is mm -hmm. before all the pricing blew up. And we had a number of around 2,800 per location passed with fixed wireless, which I thought was pretty high. That's that's fairly high for fixed wireless. Mm -hmm. Fiber at 2019 prices, $32,000 per location. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about 10 times the cost for something that even if you had 100% market penetration, was going to take 35 years to pay back. But I'm, that's now, what I'm curious about, Matt, is if, did you do an analysis of what 40 years of wireless will cost in that area? I don't necessarily have to, because all you really have to do is look at what the first five to seven years of wireless is going to cost and then take part of the cash flow from the wireless to build fiber out as it's needed. Because right now you're trying to all this talk about trying to build gigabit networks and looking forward is acting like we've got a crystal ball that says we're going to need infinite amounts of bandwidth. 20 or 30 years into the future. And but, I don't think that's the case. Here's the thing, because if you guys, you guys like to talk about electric co-ops. So how much like at a certain point, electric usage levels off, you can only use so much. 
at a house. And if you need more electricity to run something, then you order a 240 or a 480 or whatever. But the majority of houses only have so much service to the house. And we're going to have a similar situation with bandwidth because we use up to a certain point and then everything knees off. And after that point, it's just extra capacity. I want to, Kim wants to jump in. I just want to say, I think you're right, but I'll just also know if you want to have an argument grounded in data, then we don't actually know that. But I actually think you're right about that. Go ahead, Kim. I just was going to say the trends are, are, what do you think about the trends of bandwidth usage? And as they are going up, do you think that it is just going to level out with the new technology and we're, because yes, electricity has its max, but do we even really understand the max with bandwidth right now and the capabilities of it and what can be developed long-term? And I think that, I don't think you can say that definitively, but that's um, what what I believe. The thing I like about when you when you build wireless now there's this talk and i I saw somebody in the comments talking about you build it once and that's good for 50 years well you know what i've got i've got towers that i've been on for 20 years now so there are big portions of a wireless network that you're going to put up and they're going to be usable for a long period of time and that may include fiber backbone going to the towers i'm not saying there isn't a use for fiber but i think it makes a lot more sense let's go let's go solve the digital divide issues now with technology that's available at a lower cost and don't hamstring the ability for companies to use that technology now in the desire of something that might be better 30 years down the road. Nobody knows what's going to be better 30 years down the road. So you, I know, want to jump you in. put in wireless yeah. now and build the fiber out over a longer period of time as it's needed, if it's needed. Go ahead. Doug. There is one, there's one interesting point here. It's a county with 300 homes. It doesn't get much sparsely populated in that. Yeah, but I, yes. but I also think we can't sweep those under the rug. And no. um, and that's why I agree that there's there's multiple things. One is in a country that has the kind of resources we have, we want to make sure that everyone is well connected. Matt is saying that we can do that with other technologies. And I believe that Matt and Vistabeam can do that with other technologies. I believe Santa Cruz or Cruz IO can do that. What I think we all worry about is that we may be putting money, one-time money in to some of these places to have much less scrupulous people who are much more interested in, in, in being able to retire early and vacation off of delivering crap services to people who have no other choices. And that's one of the reasons why there's a push for higher standards on the investment. Another reason is that, um, is that uh, we cannot, because of this whole idea of technological neutrality, we want to say we're not going to pick winners and losers. We're just going to specify some high symmetrical speed, although we know that that's exactly what we're doing. When I think John Chambers is right in that we should be investing public dollars into infrastructure that lasts a very long time. That might be a tower. It might be fiber. It might be steel strand for fiber. It might be um, other things like that. But it should be technologies that are able to be used for a very long time in the public interest. And I feel like if we could have that kind of discussion, I think we'd be better off. Go ahead. Karen. I think, I think that's the problem. I think, yeah, I was good. I think that's the problem is that you're talking, you're trying to regulate people and the morality of how they're con- going to conduct business. And you're trying to make rules around that because yes, there are some good fixed wireless providers that are offering the speeds that they're selling, but there are a lot that are that don't. And so how do we regulate morality and business practices? Because I agree with you, there is the edge and fixed wireless is the only one who's gonna get to some of these areas. Fiber is not for that house that's 15 miles away. It's never gonna make financial sense. 
but we we have a problem and that's the crux of the yeah, problem. It didn't make financial it didn't make financial sense to run an electric line out there either. I mean like it's quite possible that paying for generators for 100 years would be cheaper. Um but I th I think we're glad that we did that. Um and and that's that's a that's a public policy argument. That's not Chris as a dictator. So mm -hmm. Doug, I cut you off though. Well, two things. One is the federal grants. Here's one way they don't support wireless. They will not give you money to build towers or to build the fiber backhaul. They call that middle mile, right, Matt? And so the B, the B grants are not friendly towards, if you wanted to build that network mm -hmm. in that county that got fiber deep into the neighborhoods and put brand new towers up so everybody could be reached, he can't get that B grant. It's really an unfair, you know, so setting the speeds is not the full picture. It really discriminates because... That's the first step towards doing fiber eventually. Let the bead pay to get all over the county in a spider web, and now you got something to build off of, you know, over the over time. So, but the other point is Kim just made it. There's some really terrible, horrible, crappy, bad wisps in the country. There, there's folks who have 13 in a row wireless backhaul chains. They they charge people $99 a month for one gigabit, and they're just dreadful companies. And they're some of the bigger ones, and that's the people that scare everybody. And, so, and what's yeah, your point, Doug? What, I mean, well, the, there's the, good companies, what, bad companies all over the place. Well, I know, absolutely. Well, there's some really bad telephone companies, so I, I completely rail against them equally. I mean, WIS do not have the monopoly on providing bad internet service. Oh, no, they do not. They do In not. fact, there are a lot of really well-run, highly yes, rated WIS that do better than a lot of other providers. Oh, and that's, that's not, that's a problem for customers. Matt. Like, this is something that, like, all five of us agree on. Like, mm -hmm. that is like, there's, I mean, I think maybe we don't state it because we all just agree on that. Well, I wasn't quite finished. My, my point is the people running the state broadband offices, Ken already said it, they don't know anything. How, mm -hmm. They don't know how to distinguish between you and those bad lists. They really don't. Some are better than others. I don't want to throw them all under the bus. Oh, no, there's some great WISPs. There's some awesome WISPs. I know them. And broadband offices. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, there's also That's great broadband offices. There's also some states who don't even have all their employees yet. <laughs> so, you know, it's all over the board. So the, so the, point, is the point is the NTIA sort of preempted that. They go, we don't think they're going to be good at picking grant winners, so we're going to set all the rules. Mm -hmm. The NTIA sort of did this on their own. Some of these rules were not in the federal mandate, so... Yeah. And I, I mean, I, there's, there's several different points that we can all continue to debate out to finer points. I feel like this has been useful to try to, um, uh, you know, share some of the differences. So uh, Matt, in particular, since you're um, representing a, a point of view that you feel like is often neglected, I don't know if you have any, any last points on this, but I want to draw this part of the discussion to a close. You know, I, just the last thing and, and I've seen a couple of comments here asking about, you know, what is the upload download performance on a fixed wireless network? Well, it depends, you know, yep. uh, it, that's the answer to everything all the time for us. <laughs> right. But a lot of the issues that come up, you know, if you're talking about cable, the stuff that Doug was referring to issues he was having with latency and jitter, it's just a super oversubscribed network. Mm -hmm. And you have the conflict between the marketing department and the sales department and the network engineers about, okay, how much can we sell before service degrades to a point where people won't tolerate it anymore? Mm -hmm. And WISPs have to work really hard to maintain a level of service. So we don't oversubscribe our networks. We watch that stuff like a hawk. And that's at least, I, I think good ones do. That's not to say there aren't mm -hmm. some bad ones out there either. But I think the bigger the company gets, the more temptation there is to let's, let's flip the dials over towards profit 
instead of actually taking care of the customers. We don't have that. I, most lists don't have that luxury. Like some of them, if we're the only one in an area, yeah, maybe we can be a little bit abusive because the only competition is going to be Starlink. But I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I've had to compete with with fiber since 2005. Allo moved into our hometown and we worked with them and bought connectivity from them. So, you know, there, there's places for everything. So I uh, there's a couple of questions about the speeds and uh, prices that you have, Matt. And I think, um, you know, it doesn't tell us as much as something that you and I have talked about, which is, um, you know, uh, Utopia has been uh, accused of being a failure by many for a long mm -hmm. time. A lot of people haven't checked mm -hmm. back to see all the successes. One of the things that Kim talks about is their customer service rating mm -hmm. on places like Yelp. And Matt, I don't know if you want to just brag for a second about your experience, but that tells me more than looking at the speeds and the prices that you mm -hmm. offer to some extent. So I want people can look at your prices more easily, but do you want to talk about your the results? Yeah, I mean, we we basically settled down from a marketing point of view. We came up with three packages. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the cheap one, the fastest one, and the one in the middle. That that's like marketing one hundred and one right there. And so our less expensive one is twenty five five. We can offer that across the entire network, no problem. Even out into the wide boondocks, we can get that out there. Then fifty by ten, and then our max package is uh, basically it's around seventy to one hundred down and uh 20 up and then now that we have more toronto built down to our footprint we're getting ready to do a 500 down 100 meg up package uh and we've been running the toronto stuff for about a year and most places it can do that so what i was actually gonna, asking you was uh was how customers feel about your service that's well, what we, i'm always interested in yeah we've got a uh i believe a 4647 on facebook and google and i think that's that's appropriate we don't we don't take out the bad reviews. We leave them up there as an example to. You can take out so bad reviews. Better. Well, I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> marketing people figure out how to do all this crazy stuff. All I know is. Don't is, you worry, Matt. We marketing people can figure out some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This so, show's gonna. This show's gonna get a lot higher rating if Chris can take out all the negative reviews. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there, there's there 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 are a lot of people that are very happy with their wireless ISP service and. You know, we've got a channel here that when somebody gets a, a positive review, you know, we share it amongst everybody. And so our, our people, we actually do, we actually take more time instead of optimizing for efficiency with our field per personnel, we actually tell them to take as much time as you need to make sure the customer is happy, you know, hook up their TVs, get them all set up with all their stuff in their house so that they're happy. So we set aside two plus hours for installers to do the work. They might be done in 45 minutes, but it might take them an hour to hook up all the devices in somebody's house to make sure that they're happy. You know, one of our core values I've got on the wall behind me is, is we respect our customers and we empower our communities. That's, that's part of it is kind of showing the respect. That's what gets us higher reviews. That's why, even though CenturyLink is going to overbuild us with fiber, I'm in the town we're doing fiber in, I, I'm not too worried about us being able to maintain a very high customer percentage in, in that town. Oh, you, Travis? Should, you, you, should, you shouldn't be worried at all. <laughs> they're like the, they're, they're the best competition you can have so um you know can you can you make the math work with the toronto stuff no, i, I want to this is a great question i'll just give you a I second was, hold I on with it. 
So this is, I want, I'm really glad you brought that up. I wanted to say, first of all, uh, very important pro tip for anyone that wants to have their comment featured. Great point, Chris, is a great way to start it. That's how, if you want to get your comment featured, that's how you start it. Um, but this is, this is, I, let's spend a few minutes on this. If you're, if you're up for it, Matt, because I've heard a number of people, whenever I talk about Tirana, experienced people always do this signal about how it's very pricey. Um, they talk about how great it is, but it's also pricey. Well, here's the question back to you, Travis. How do you make fiber work at all? Den oh, density and cost of capital, you know, and, and quite frankly, the support cost is so much less. The uptake is so much better. But, you know, we're averaging our ARPU is only $62.50 a month. So I couldn't make the math work on the Tirana with that kind of ARPU. I was wondering, I was wondering where you were sitting at it, a monthly service fee for customers. So our ARPU is higher than that. Yeah. But you also have to look at plant construction and also opportunity cost. So I can give you the example of we put the Tirana up in a town and we had a competitor build fiber and I'm pretty sure the fiber build cost somewhere between two and a half and 3 million, I'm guessing. And my cost to put Toronto up to be able to offer 500 meg packages was hundred grand. Sure. But what's the enterprise value of the Toronto? So you've got that to factor in what's I I've, I'm still running fiber. I put in 15 years ago. I've had to replace the wireless nodes four times in that amount of time in our in our network the wireless network is very difficult to troubleshoot the fiber network is very easy to troubleshoot the the wireless network very difficult to get really good customer satisfaction fiber network very easy to do it so i'm not necessarily but again i'm in an urban setting in a heavily wooded urban setting it's just a really a challenge so we'll use a little wireless to start but then we'll backfill with fiber and then when we, put, when we put fiber down a street, we're kind of done. There's not, not a lot of support. Toronto is a different animal. That's about all I can say is all the promise of all the things that I thought was ever going to happen with wireless. Uh, none of it really got fulfilled until we started getting Toronto. We put Toronto up and it's basically like having a pond node. Okay. Uh, we have yeah. no complaints from the customers. Uh, it's very predictable. Uh, we specifically put in the place that had the worst interference that I've ever seen with, you know, just five gigahertz, like with a neg 55 noise floor, and it doesn't care. It just runs. Now, a little bit of issue with trying to go through trees in five gig. And, you know, we, we, we have to use three gig, which has a little bit less capacity on it to get to some places. But Toronto, and I think the next generation the generation of fixed wireless equipment that's coming out over the next four or five years is going to push that fiber assumption really hard because and the, price, and the prices are going to come down. Yeah. And just yeah. think about, so I don't really care about your enterprise value on that. Somebody spent $3 million. I'm $2.9 million ahead with wireless. I have a very survivable economic model and whoever put that kind of investment into build fiber has a giant ball and chain. They got to drag around for a long time. So at that point, I don't necessarily have to get every customer or even be dominant. I just need to get enough customers to put pressure on, on the economic model. And that's the thing is I think fiber has a very brittle economic model. You've got to go out and you've got to get a bunch of debt. Or you got to get a bunch of equity or you have to get some kind of public funding to make the economic model work or it just falls apart. Well, but it's, it's, but, but it's like anything you, you get to a, 
a saturation level or a, a mm -hmm. number of subscribers, and then it effectively self funds. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the, um, you know, you're, you're only looking at less than a five year return on your investment on fiber. And this is underground fiber active ethernet. So it's the most expensive way to build it. Um, it, it would be interesting to sit down and do a financial analysis. You know, I am, I don't mind wireless. I just found it very difficult to operate now, but then again, and I'm in, in fairness, this, these were in the days of like ubiquity and micro tick and all this, I hate to call it junk, but kind of junk, you know, not until we had cambium EPMP, did we start seeing any level of stability, but then it's really noisy. So we threw up this Tarana stuff and I can't make the math work because now my ARPU has to go higher than my fiber network. I have to charge more for less. Well, it, again, in a city setting, I want to reinforce that. If I was out in the middle of nowhere, the, the economics would be very different. So another thing to keep in mind, you've got the ability to get right away. So there are situations where right away is very hard to get. And look at the example of Google. The company with the most money and influence in the world cannot figure out how to make fiber work in Louisville or in some of these places where the incumbents were entrenched. But just, good luck, good luck no, trying to keep a wireless guy out because a wireless guy can go anywhere. So Matt, this is where like I, I have I think there's just a disagreement on some facts around that. Um, I mean Louisville, they tried nano trenching, which was um, not great, and they mm -hmm. didn't do it well, and that screwed them up there. Um, in uh, Nashville and some other places, I think they were amateurish in how they approached their building standards and things like that. Um, Google Fiber is expanding again. I think some of the ire that people have against Google Fiber is actually um, not accurate at this point. They simply started arrogant, made a lot of mistakes, and you know I would say they're not the only ones that have done that. Um, no, so. we haven't either. Um, Utopia <laughs> hasn't done any of that. Um, so yeah, no, Google is building quite substantially here in Utah and you're seeing them be successful and you're seeing them get the take rates. I, uh, but they did have a rough start, but I don't think criticizing people with a rough start um, is necessarily. But they also um, had another shortcoming in Louisville. The real issue there is they tried to get on the polls and that city AT&T owns them. Yeah. Google refused to become certified. They refused to go to the Public Service Commission become a CLAC. And because of that, they didn't have the right to the polls. And AT&T told them to take a hike. Uh, so, you know, that, that was a that was a regulatory choice. They could have gotten on those polls, but they, they elected not. Well, to. and that's ridiculous. Yes. I mean, just just like it's ridiculous in like three different ways. I just want to point it out there. Like none of this makes any sense. It, it doesn't make how we decide sense. these things. Like, no, it should not be. It's Travis, I don't want to cut you off because you don't speak. Well, everything, no, no, I, every, everything regulatory is ridiculous. That's how. It mm -hmm. works. But I, I do want to put a log on, uh, on on Matt's fire there of saying I started building this when the Fed interest rate was a quarter point. The Fed interest rate today is five percent. Mm -hmm. If, He's going to work that, it in. That is a uh, <laughs> that is a true issue today. If we were starting from scratch today, it would be virtually impossible to get banking. It would be first. So the only way to do it would be to get private equity or um, mezzanine funding. And if you're starting from scratch, building a fiber network would be challenging. So that's why I'm I'm a real fan of like what we did: lay out a wireless network, backfill with fiber. A, you know where all the customers are because of your, your history. And and B, you then you have enough EBITDA that you can start to leverage that into building your fiber plant. But yeah, you're you're dead in the water starting from scratch today. I mean, if you're borrowing money at eight, nine percent, you can't unless you up. unless we can get to Doug's prediction of a hundred dollar a month internet, 
then we're golden. But mm-hmm. Chris's big rant about being cheap and fiber doesn't exist anymore. Well, and I, just one last point on this. The, the, one of the biggest advantages of fixed wireless is a regulatory bypass. And I, I've met with multiple legislators like, you know, what are the roadblocks in your way? I was like, I don't really have any. Like, we, we've even created towers that we can put up uh, there temporary, but they're basically so we don't have to get building permits or, or trench to them or anything like that. So wireless is this huge, fixed wireless especially is a huge regulatory bypass. You want to screw with me on pull attachment? You want to screw with me on right away? Don't care. I'm going to go over it you, and Matt, be think- able to go in and compete. I think that's a really good point. That's one of the reasons that I do love wireless. Um, I do think coming back to the, the <laughs> issue of um, of urban versus rural, um, mm-hmm. this country does not use spectrum efficiently. And right now, um, I would say there's a lot of places where um, where in urban areas, um, there's not enough opportunity for that regulatory bypass. And so uh, I certainly hope that we see CBRS um, allowing for more spectrum sharing in the future. Um, but this was something that Travis had shared from a recent travel that is a reminder of the challenge of trying to do this in an urban area at scale, I think. Yeah, Matt, check this baby out. This is down in Yuma. <laughs> I, I actually, I was... I'm like super impressed with it, but I'm also just trying to see how the city, like the city of where I'm from, Minneapolis, would be dealing if I had a bunch of these. <laughs> so, um, or Santa Fe, my God, like the way they were trying to um, shut down Wi-Fi years ago. I think it was Santa Fe. Like, All right, <laughs> and real quick, Duncan is making a point about ubiquity. My data on ubiquity is about five years old, so I'm just saying that that anything with that's non-TDD or you know is in wire in wireless is a challenge so i'll leave it no, no most cities would make what you just showed us a regulatory issue they would tell you you can't do it in their city yeah so, exactly yeah. yeah now i i would I, I do want to point out the positive side of that picture there <laughs> the other end of those radios are people that probably don't have a good competitive alternative <clears throat> um so those those aren't there because somebody was sloppy those are there because there was opportunity out there so i look at that and that's a failure of regulation you know, somebody should have been able to get right away. They might have been blocked or, you know, we set the bar so high to try and do construction on networks that somebody can't build something better. This is that that's opportunity right there. Somebody addressed an opportunity. It's a little so ugly what, not the way I would do it, but I thought the same thing. So I, I just was so curious about this. I had to go find out who this was and what they were doing. This is a company that is servicing their customers better than the incumbent and servicing their customers better than everybody else here. And, and they're killing it down here. But look, you know, technically they're uh, they have an opportunity that a lot of urban wisps will not have, which is these big towers. And it appears nobody in the city legislature is going to say anything about it. So it's also uh, a city without a ton of trees and there's a bunch of benefits. Well, they they, they cheat down here in Arizona, too. Yes. This is a, yes. Yeah. I want to. I want to wrap up a little bit here. Um, I did actually just do an interview with the Tohono O'odham uh, Utility Authority, which is in southern Arizona. Um, they have an area the size of Connecticut um, with tens of thousands of people. They are using um, a wireless service, and we we're talking about how it works very well down there, um, not in that urban jungle that Travis describes Minneapolis as um, in terms of the heavily wooded. Um, so that interview will be coming out soon. They're talking about their fiber and their wireless to some extent. Um, there was something that, um, 
um, Matt had said that I wanted to have an intelligent reply to, and I think I may not have it anymore. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you don't have a. We'll have more opportunities, Chris. I'm yes. shocked you thought you had one. So. <laughs> the um, oh, it was it was um, Matt. What were a few things you just said? I don't want to lose. I don't want to leave this behind. Let's just recap. What were some of your last? Say, every, say everything you said. Before. Oh, just recap. Let's see. Regulatory bypass. <laughs> After uh, that, uh, opportunity is out there. Uh, man, I don't know. Yeah, Can none you of us just repeat exactly what you said. I mean, that's what Chris just asked you. Could you just like just on? Uh, yeah. you guys just all yeah, hang out? I'm gonna go watch the Where's video. Personal stenographer over <laughs> we're gonna pull, here. We're gonna Can pull, pull back a little, to me. We're gonna pull some space balls here. Hang on. Now we're at now myself. now. I want to defend myself a little bit. I didn't say their switch was bad, but you got to agree their wireless is not very good. So that's what I was saying. This has been a a fun show, and um, I. Uh, was going to wrap it up really intelligently, but that's not my style. So apparently we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I have to say, like, we'll see what the final numbers are. I can just see a, a number of how many people are watching on YouTube and it is higher than I've seen before. So I don't know if you were um, advertising to people that you were going to come put me in my place, but people came out to see it. And uh, so that was good. I appreciate that. <laughs> No, you know, I thank thanks for having me on, Chris. And uh, I appreciate everybody kind of being good sports. I know I've been poking around a little bit and, you know, this is this was a good discussion. And I think it was very interesting that when we actually talked face to face instead of just broadcasting stuff out that I thought we actually had a very good discussion. We need to have more discussions like this as opposed to kind of this is the way everything needs to be. You know, that's that's what I find myself yelling at the radio. So. Uh, good job, everybody, and I hope we uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Oh, we're gonna um, go straight. We're gonna go straight back downhill. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um I did remember what it was, and that was that. Actually, I think the bead program may be designed in the way that you would like to see it, Matt. Because uh, several things: the state of Nebraska has one of the greatest challenges. I think, in part, because of the way it has prohibited electric co-ops and others from being able to do anything. The state has been captive to CenturyLink. I think it's Senator Friesen who has been their advocate and made sure that nothing happens that isn't approved by CenturyLink for years. Uh, and so there's a massive Massive need in in Nebraska. I think um, Mike Conlo, I, I think, believes that Nebraska is one of the most underfunded states. And so what that means is that Nebraska will be probably putting a lower cap on fiber builds and then there will be more freedom. So that county that you're referencing will almost certainly not be getting bead dollars for fiber. It will probably be getting a proposal from someone to do a kind of wireless service. So for all of our ragging on government, I actually think it's going to work out in Nebraska kind of the way you want it to regarding the technology that will serve people there. Boy, I don't know on that one. Um, Nebraska is going to be really rough and uh, I know one of the big issues we're dealing with right now is just on the the program is that that uh, they require so much for fixed wireless at this point. Like your engineering study, where are the towers, what height, what frequency, what model, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just like spend ten, fifteen thousand dollars on engineering just to respond to an application. And if you say, well, we're going to use fiber, they're like, great, here's your money. You know, it's just ridiculous. So, uh, I, I, the the playing field needs to be evened up. It's like if somebody's going to do fiber, then they should be they should have the same requirements we have for fixed wireless. 
or loosen it up. So companies that are established that have a good record of being operational and take care of their customers get, get leeway to go out and, and take care of those customers, maybe figure out how to re-regulate it that way. I think with the bead, the less money goes out, the better bead is going to be a complete unmitigated disaster. There are so many requirements in there. I don't think I want any of the money because the requirements that are, are going to come with it are huge and they're going to sink. And the real opportunity is going to come five years after bead when all the companies that got the free government money are falling apart and the assets are available for 10 or 15% of what they originally cost to put in the ground. That's what happened with the stimulus projects back in 2010. I, happened, I just want to, again, I was just saying, I feel like that's what happened to some of them. Some of them catastrophically in that direction. And actually, I actually think this is not necessarily a bad thing. One of the reasons that this country is so strong is because of our bankruptcy approach that makes sure that, that assets like that will get a second life. And so I, I, I look forward to you buying up the assets of those that fail. Um, and I don't think we can spend a whole lot more time on this, well, but what you just said is something that a lot of us agree with, I think. Here's the thing though. I, we shouldn't be spending money on assets that are going to fail. It would make more sense to spend money on a, on companies that are already established, that are doing a good job of providing service and have experience. If you can and, operationalize that, you're going to be a very wealthy and very busy person because I think we all agree. It's just that writing those rules is damn hard, especially when people like Kim and I that have some background in this, for instance, are like, hell no, I don't want to do that. That sounds too hard. Yeah, and, but that, that's how 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 do we systematize that? That's that's the problem, you know. And I we, we, open, we open with that comment, Matt. And the point is, when you let states think that way, they give all the money to CenturyLink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's I think Chris problem. was in the I think yeah. Chris was in the room at uh, at Mountain Connect when we we saw four state broadband directors were all well. We're kind of waiting on this, waiting on that, and I I lost it and stuff. I was like, hey, you don't work for the NTIA. You work for the people in your state. You need to go figure stuff out. Don't be waiting for somebody else to figure it out. It's your job to figure it out. You know what, Kim? I think Matt wants in on our deal. See, we kind of know. We kind of know. Four, we know four states where Matt's going to not get a grant. Well, <laughs> I, I do appreciate that Matt is not a very passionate person about what he does right, not at, at all. No, no. I just not feel like man. this is like this is like the Chris is awful. Like compared to us, like I just I was in a small pond. I was doing well. Now Ruben comes in and he just like shows that he's better at this. Now Matt's ranting better than I can. This sucks. I'm I'm gonna go back right, to audio we podcasting. Have, do we get a show I, where I, Ruben I, gets to be the MC? Do we get one of those? Yeah, like, but I do appreciate um, Matt your uh, your passion for what you do, and Absolutely. and I think it's what we need to connect this country is people like you and others who are that passionate about what you're doing, and that's amazing. So kudos to you, huge. More Matts, fewer Travises. Yeah, I, I agree. We don't even qualify for the government handouts, and I, I agree with Matt. It's going to be a disaster. So I'm going to expand our bet with Chris. That in the next two years, Utopia, USI, and Vistabeam will hook up more customers to the internet, actually doing more good than all bead dollars combined. There you the go. Next two years, I, that's an easy bet. I'm on. I, I, I agree with you, Travis. That's it's gonna, it's, this, is gonna, yeah, this is yes. going to get wasted. All this money is going to get wasted. There all right. Chance any, of any of us getting it is going to be. Won't be any bead, there won't be any bead stuff connected in 2024. You're absolutely really right. okay. Yeah. No. Huh, what's taking so long? Are we back to the maps already? Even after you win the damn thing, you got a mountain of paperwork and then the, you got um, environmental studies. It's going to be forever. The states have to finish. The, so let's just very quickly. I think we, 
the states have 270 days from recently to do their plan, Travis, and then they actually have to implement those plans. And that plan is just then the point at which they start will taking they'll start taking applications months later. They have to go through a whole process to vet those and, and come up with awards. And then they'll have to actually get the money out, at which point um, you have to start doing you can't have like stockpiled a bunch of stuff you've already purchased and then get reimbursed for in many yeah. cases. So. So, yeah, I mean, like there's a there's a massive pipeline of things that have to get done before anything goes in the ground with this money. And paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Yep. Yeah. Well, I uh, I'm with I'm with Matt. Why take it then? Just uh... Ruben is definitely wanting to be head of this show because he just compared us to Star Trek as his other favorite show. <laughs> All right. I thought the money should be distributed. If you have over a 4.0 Google star and you've been in business for more than three years, you should get preferential treatment to the cash. You must be doing something right. All right. I'm done, Chris. Uh, Matt, this is the kind of show that we had in mind when we started off doing it, or at least I did, and so I really appreciate it. Um, Kim and, and Doug, thank you for being here week after week. Uh, Travis, I look forward to hanging out in person. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone. And uh, I need to look at the schedule, but we'll be back maybe in two weeks. Uh, we'll be back at some point when we have things to say. Thank you, everyone, and it's been a fun episode of Connect This. Connect This.